Hello and welcome to CIO UK Leadership Live. I'm Doug Drinkwater, I'm the editor of CIO UK, and I'm joined today by Kate Weiner, who's a CDIO at Older Hay Hospital and Liverpool Heart and Chest Hospital as well. Kate, thanks for joining me. Hi Doug, it's great to be here, really delighted to, uh, to see you today. Fantastic. So over the next half an hour or so, we're going to tackle a few things. We're going to tackle Kate's 20-year career in health and social care. We're going to look at what digital transformation looks like in the NHS, not least at the moment in a rather tricky 2023. We're also going to look at the importance of role modelling and being part of the community and that actively contributing towards that. And finally, last but by no means least, as many of you who watched Leadership Live will know, I do try and ask a couple of off-the-wall questions at the end to find out a bit more uh, who we're speaking to today. So Kate is ready and prepped for that, I'm sure. I can't wait. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Kate, I guess a, a question to start off with. I'm always curious to people's backgrounds, how they get into technology. And we know many people who actually become quite senior fall into technology via a myriad uh, of different ways. And I think I'd like to start with how a music graduate starts out and then ends up in a 20-year career now in, in very senior health and social roles in, in Liverpool. Yeah, it's a great question. Thanks, Doug. Um, so I would start by saying completely and utterly by accident. Um, so it, it was never part of a, of a grand plan for me. Um, I actually started my, my I dipped my toe in the water with, with the NHS um, in between school and university. So I was waiting to go um, and, and start my music degree in Liverpool. And I did a three-month stint at the Royal Liverpool University Hospitals as a ward clerk. And my job in those days was to um, essentially go around the hospital and collect paper case notes, the, the irony in that given the role that I do now um, for, for patients that were coming in. Um, fast forward a couple of years, I actually got a job working in primary care um, during my degree and um, my, my job then was to summarise some of the paper notes onto the computer systems. And then when I graduated, I got um, given an opportunity to apply for a job as an IT trainer. And I think actually that was one of my favourite jobs um, in, in my career because I got to talk to people quite a lot and, and I really like that. Um, and I also got to share my my learning and and my knowledge with with, with folk. And so so I did this job around training for for some periods of time. Um, I was really lucky to get an opportunity to do a master's degree, which which I did quite early on in my career in health informatics, and got a taste of the um, the role technology can can play um, in improving services in the NHS. And then developed my career from there, really did a few roles around project management, program management, um, and then it went into sort of more general um, digital management roles. Um, I've worked across a number of settings. So as I say, I've worked in primary care. Um, I've also worked in commissioning organisations. I've worked in um, sort of regional roles um, and then um, also in, in, in providers. Um, and I started my role as um, Chief Digital and Information Officer at Alderhey just four years ago. Um, prior to that, doing you know, various other roles in, in different places. Um, and actually, it's one of the best moves that I've made. I really love my, my job and then the, what a privilege it was to, um, to, to be asked really to, to then take on a role across the full heart and chest as, as well. So it's a bit of a potted history there. But yeah, a career completely by accident, um, but with, with, with real passion I think for the difference what we do makes to, to patients and staff. Yeah absolutely and I do want to come on to those two roles a little bit later in terms of 
how you balance the, the kind of priorities and, and how you keep the ship, I guess, kind of sailing in, in the right direction. But before I come on to that, I, I do want to, looking at your career going back kind of 20 or so years, how do you think the NHS and social care has changed? And I, I'm also curious how you think the role of a technology leader has changed with that too, because, you know, speaking to a number of uh, CIOs in the NHS, certainly over the last five years, um, it's been quite dramatic changes in terms of influence and accountability. Yeah, I think that's right. So I think in terms of how technology has changed, certainly over my career, massively, um, you know, as I said earlier, really, you know, one of my first jobs was going around collecting paper case notes. Uh, and in a lot of NHS organisations now, and certainly the, the two that I work in, um, it, it's, you know, we, we don't see much paper around anymore. Um, so I think in terms of um, the, the role of electronic patient records um, in, in supporting doctors and nurses to, to care for patients and, and have information at their fingertips, you know, that, that's been a real foundation block, really, for, for the delivery of care. I think um, one of the key priorities for the, the NHS is really being, you know, getting, delivering safe care and delivering really great quality care. And I think, you know, there's, there's various parts of, of technology that can really support and enable that. Some of that is around the electronic records. But then there's other things, you know, automation and um, different types of technologies that can really support that um, that delivery. And, and then I think, you know, COVID was, was a, um, you know, absolutely tragic in so many ways but I think in terms of the digital agenda I, I think globally but certainly in, in health services I think probably it gave um, the NHS the bit of a um, impetus and boot that it needed to, to really transform and, and I think you know, that the game changed significantly then particularly in terms of how we interact with our patients um, and how we work corporately as well so I think you know quite a, a range of things I think in terms of the, you know, how the role of the technology leader has changed. I think you know, when when certainly when I started out, a lot of technology leaders were technologists um, or IT folk, you know, folk that could you know, plug a yellow wire into a yellow socket or it would know a purple wire should go into whatever colour socket. And I think actually as technology has, has evolved and the agenda has evolved, it's much more around how we transform services yeah. and how we work with people. Um, so I, I think in terms of from a leadership point of view, it's how um, how we work with each other, how we bring people on a journey, how we inspire and, and, and motivate colleagues to get behind a, a vision um, and then get some stuff done and deliver. Um, so I, I think it's probably a different skill set. I think um, one of the things that has changed quite significantly in the NHS is then the, the leadership position of some chief digital and information officers. So quite um, a number of NHS organisations now have these roles as part of the leadership of the organisation. Um, whereas I think previously they might have sat under a finance director or, or another um, executive director. You know, I think lots of organisations now um, you know, have a, a CDIO at that sort of leadership table, which I think is, is pretty consistent with some industry. And I know you, you'll be more familiar with that with me. Um, Doug, but, you know, I think that's been a, another key development in the leadership in, in the NHS, um, which I think, again, just just portrays really the the importance of, of this agenda in, in the now, but also in, in the future as well. Yeah, absolutely. I know um, Andy Callow, who's just moved on from Northamptonshire, was, you know, has been a big kind of advocate, I guess, of that, of trying to drive more better representation basically on boards from, from that kind of CIO level. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think 
certainly from, from my perspective, it, it, it's helpful because because you feel the you feel the pain of the rest of your colleagues and you feel the benefit as well. Actually, the you know the real opportunity. But you'll know what might be keeping your chief operating officer awake at night. You, you'll know what you know it might be troubling your chief nurse, or you'll know what the priorities of medical director is because you are part of the team working alongside them. So the, there's there's no dilution of of message. But then equally, you know, your role there is to then you know really raise the profile of of the opportunity of, of digital and technology. Um, and and to make sure you know that that we are at the forefront of of, of doing things, and I think particularly working in um, the the trusts I work in, you know, they're the really innovative organisations. You know, one of them works with children, um, and so a children's organisation, you know, the expectation of of our children and young people um, is, you know, well, why aren't you doing all this in this way? So we we've got a, a role there to really lead that agenda um, and respond to to, to their um, to their needs and their wants as well. Yeah. Absolutely. I guess the key word there, Kate, which is interesting, which you may come on to later, was balance, I guess, is how you do all of this, um, given you know, restrictions and, and limitations rather on, on resources. But I mean, that brings me quite nicely to your dual role. I do want to spend some time. I'm looking at your core responsibility, your your remit. Um, and I think you're leading both trusts. Um, it's iDigital, I think, is, is the term for the team, right? It's, it's that's the, the under one one roof. Yeah, that that's right. So, so our digital is essentially our integrated digital service, um, which is here to serve both organisations. Um, and so my role in that is is the chief digital information officer, um, and you know sit on both boards of directors. So sit on the board at Alder High and I sit on the boards at Liverpool Heart and Chest. And then we've got an integrated leadership team um, that sits across both organisations. So th- this service has been established for um, just under two years now um, and w- was born out of um, an opportunity of collaboration, which was explored between a, a number of organisations in Liverpool um, and certainly the the leadership teams of, of Alder Hay and Liverpool Heart and Chest. We're, we're really keen to say, you know, how can we draw some of our expertise together? You know, how can we have economies of scale? How can we pool our resources to then be able to, you know, manage key person dependencies, key resilience risks, but also how can we spread brilliant practice? So if we've done something fantastic in one organisation, how can we roll that out and, and spread that learning and vice versa as well? And um, so we've been on quite quite a journey with, with, with bringing some of the, the teams together. Um, and as I say, we've got um, a shared leadership team and then some teams which are integrated together and some which are site specific. So depending on the, the nature of, of the work, um, it will depend on, on sort of how that those teams run. Um, but I think this has been a big success in terms of collaboration for, for both organisations. Um, our, our staff, you know, are brilliant and, and they're such a, a credit to, to both trusts um, and, and do such a brilliant job, really, for, for our colleagues and, and for our patients as well. Yeah, I guess that integration is key, isn't it, in terms of making sure that, you know, that the senior leadership team is across it, but the team as well. Because I guess where I was going is, where a scale obviously is, is an obvious benefit in terms of what you can achieve and you can learn off each other but what have the kind of challenges been have there been challenges in terms of prioritization you know almost uh deciding what you do first and what you have to park what do you kind of see as the opportunity but also the challenges you've run into yeah so i, th- I think um one of our brilliant things with this is is how um the the Outside of digital, the leadership teams of both organisations are really behind this. So I think in terms of prioritisation, you know, we've got a really great and um, supportive 
um, group, a governance group that that meets. Um, you know, hears the developments that we're doing within the service, and um, but also holds us to account on on delivery. Um, I think some of the challenges can be when we've got a prioritisation of something in one place and the same in another. You know, it, it can be a little bit okay. How do we balance off some of that? But I think you know, re- working really pragmatically with great relationships mm-hmm. is one of the ingredients for, for success there, really. And I think I think one of our um, key things which we've really worked hard at is, is the culture mm-hmm. and how we work with with our colleagues, how we get staff to be really heard in terms of shaping the service. Um, so when the concept of of the service of collaboration was um, was was progressed a number of years ago, iDigital as a brand didn't exist. We you know the staff came up with that, and we had quite a cute little um, logo and stuff which was, was developed. Um, but you know that came from from within, um, and we work really hard in terms of communication. You know giving staff the opportunity to get together, to get time together. So colleagues, you've got about 160 staff in the service, who colleagues that might not, um, you know, their paths might not normally cross in a working day. We bring them together a couple of times a year to have some fun, (laughs) have some laughs, and and actually, you know, do some really creative team development work. Um, Additionally, really, we, we do quite a bit of, you know, every week we get everyone together for a quick teams meeting. There's a bit of rewards and recognition sharing what's going on across both organisations and within the service um, and then putting spotlights on different teams to be able to share with their colleagues you know what, what they're up to and the, the difference that their work makes to, um, to to patients so I think that's been one of the real successes in um, in the development of iDigital really. Yeah absolutely okay where I want to go next actually is very much on that vein of bringing people together I was going to ask you in terms of your leadership what do you kind of define as your key characteristics and qualities because i'm going to speak for you in part at this point because obviously last year uh, we had the ci 100 and, and i think one thing that stood out for me was a number of people um not necessarily not in the same trust but in the same network of healthcare cios who, who kind of highlighted you as someone that was in the community actively collaborating cooperating with others and i guess if you apply that same model internally which it sounds like you are and bringing teams together you that shared vision, I guess, becomes a lot easier, right? If you can bring people with you, you can tell a story, it's easier to, to bring people with you than if you don't. Uh, it's massively important. And, I, you know, I think um, one of the most important things to remember with this, actually, and uh, I'm referring to an, an old colleague of mine who always used to say, we're in a relationship business here. You know, the the, the nature of everything we do is, is driven by the relationships that that we we have and we form. And actually, you know, if you've got a good idea, but you've got no relationships and therefore no people backing your idea, well, your idea is going to go nowhere, is it? Whereas if you've got great relationships and you you can build trust and you can build empowerment, and then really you know unleash people to be their very best in 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 their roles. Um, you, you know, you, you're on to a, a winning formula there, I, I would say. And I, I think in terms of communities and, and the external networks, it's massively important to me. And I think in terms of you know, these roles are difficult roles and actually that that support of, of peers and colleagues and others um, across, whether it be a, a local geography, a, a national geography, an international geography, you know, sort of that um, commonality of purpose and just being able to pick the phone up and say, Oh, you couldn't help me out with this, could you? Or, or you know, vice versa. If someone else needs some help with something, you know, I think that um, that community of, of 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 friends and colleagues helping each other is it's just crucial. 
Yeah, absolutely. And, and I think that's cross-sector, right? I mean, I've spoken to a number of CIOs in different sectors, um, including recently some that have moved into first-time CIO positions. And I think it's, quite, it's a lonely role because you're kind of, you may, maybe you're part of the board, and but you may then just disperse to deliver what you need to deliver, but you can't have the same relationship with your team. So those yeah. networks are invaluable, really. It, it, absolutely. And I, and I think as well to the sort of tech leadership, you know, how that has changed. I think this is probably a, a really key thematic area um, around those relationships and, and those networks. And I would say, you know, I would I am never afraid to ask for help. So if there's something I'm worried about or something I'm struggling with. I'll uh, pick the black book up and think, right, who can I ring about this? And and whether it might be a personal challenge or it might be a work challenge, but whatever it might be, it's it's sort of you're really using the um the network you've got around you to, yeah. to help you work things through. Absolutely. Does that feed also into uh, uh, you know your own development as well as a as a leader? I know you mentioned the masters earlier, but if you've got mentors or sponsors, people that can help you, I'm just curious as what. What, how have you looked for inspiration to develop yourself and also develop your teams as well like right? so you've got to take them with you as you progress into new roles and and, and new skill sets yeah I mean I, I'm a massive fan of, of mentoring and coaching and I have a mentor and a coach mm-hmm. um, and I've had both um for, for a long period different people at different parts of, of my my career Um, I was recommended to get a mentor quite early on in my career and I think it, it's um it, it's paid dividends really and I think the the role of the mentor for me has it's changed it changes de- depending where I am so if I'm starting a new job actually it might be on the job yeah. um oh my god I've got this challenge how do I deal with this or is, I always think it's like someone a bit older and wiser on the t-shirt a few more times than me to help but then sometimes it might be you know if you given opportunities or, or, or given you know choices to make it someone to help you work that some of that through as well um so I've always been really fortunate in in all of the the mentors I've had previously and, and certainly my current mentor as well and um, but I think it can go a bit deeper than that and I always think that the network I've, I've got around me so, so you've you know I've got a great pool of of um informal mentors yeah. and some of that might be you know support from exec colleagues in both organizations some of it might be you know some of the the CIO community um and it's just yeah it's massively important and as I say it's yeah me it's, it's just never be frightened to say I need a bit of help or I'm struggling with, with this and yeah. um, I try and really invoke that with all of my team as well I actively encourage all of my um, senior management team to have mentorship and, and coaching um, it, it's a big priority. So across the Northwest, um, we've got a skills development network, um, which is a professional network for, for digital professionals. Um, and it's one of the, the key things which is recommended through through that process as well. So certainly I'm a, I'm a, I'm a big advocate of that um, and delighted to actually mentor some, some folk as well. And I think um, with that, you know, you get a, a reverse set of benefits as well, because you can always learn from, from others as well as, um, you know, hopefully pass on some of your your experience and support as well yeah absolutely we saw that uh coincidentally with the next sky program we ran last year a number of mentors saying actually they were learning off of the mentees who were coming through in, in these different roles there's a there's a kind of a, a benefit for both parties really it, massively and i think they, they say they? every day is a school day. Yeah. and i think actually you know if you're priv- if you're in such a privileged position to be able to 
to to mentor someone or or then get mentored you know it, i think it most definitely is a, a two-way process um okay i guess uh that all sounds very positive what i'm going to go next is it's perhaps less positive in in the light of the news at the moment uh given some of the constraints that the nhs is is under in terms of costs you know strikes um and waiting times as well i guess one thing i'm curious about is you know we we read the news um we we know kind of face value what the what the problems are but how does that reflect on on digital and technology teams is what's the impact i guess i'm always curious to i guess you probably have to deliver more with less it could be one possible outcome yeah i mean it's you know it's it's tough in the nhs at the moment i think it it is challenging i think um coming out of the last few years of of the pandemic i think we're seeing quite a lot of fatigue in in the workplace and and obviously you know you you, you talk about the strikes and other things you know it's, it's unprecedented times again for the nhs I, I think in terms of technology and digital um so there's a constrained financial environment but i think there's a real recognition actually of the role technology and digital can make and is making in supporting the the future um so so the role of a number of things around i, I don't know declunking repetitive processes saving time supporting productivity supporting efficiency so I think that there's a real recognition around investing in technology to release some of those benefits I think one of the challenges is then how you you know can you can you really turn some of those benefits into hard cash yeah. um, and sometimes you can't and and I think you've got to be okay with that um sometimes you can and that's great um I, I think it's then you know how do you um help with safety and actually the, the wider consequences on people's lives on mortality um, and on quality improvements in, in outcomes for, for patient care. I think in, in, in digital, I think one of the challenges we, we've really started to see is around recruitment and retention. And again, it's probably not unique to digital in, in the health service, but I think it is a challenge that we're seeing more so now than we, we perhaps did a little bit before the, the pandemic. And I think some of that, you know, there's been a lot of national investment. So everyone's sort of fishing in the same pool mm-hmm. for um, for resource and, and staff. Um, and I think this is where models such as iDigital can help because you know we've got those economies of, of scale but I think it's where collaboration then with other places it, it is really critical to to help to to alleviate some of that because um I, I think that is a real challenge at the moment yeah absolutely I mean talking of, of digital one thing we are also seeing uh, at the moment is the I guess the centralization of a lot of the leadership I think we're speaking either today or, or yesterday where NHS Digital was folded into into NHS England's improvement. NHS X has undergone a similar um, exercise, if you want to call it that, on the back of the the Wade Gary review, I think, last year. And obviously, Simon Bolton um, is also departing as well. What what do all of these changes is mean? I guess locally for for kind of independent trust CIOs. In many ways, you could say that there's more collaboration than there's ever been. But obviously, there'll be some challenges that come with this as well. I'm actually really quite optimistic about the the changes. I think I think one of the things we've seen change fairly significantly in in the last year or so um, with NHS England is the real connection with local organisations. So there's a CIO touch base which happens weekly, um, which which is chaired by Sonia Patel, and um, which I think is is a great. Um, a great group for everyone to, to get together and hear right from the top of the shop what, what's happening. Um, so it's a really lively group and, and really helpful. 
Um, so I think the organisational changes, I, I'm hopeful that it might become a little bit more streamlined because I think mm-hmm. to sort of manoeuvre through, you know, a number of different national digital organisations and then different people with different interests um, sat in those organisations, I think bringing all of that together a little bit more strategically should hopefully help um, both in terms of strategy direction, but also then in terms of that connection with local organisations because you sort of have a funnel through a, a single route rather than through through multiple routes is my um, is my hope for it anyway. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, and we'll come on to some of your initiatives as well, but you mentioned earlier about digital culture and the importance of establishing a kind of a digital culture. Um, how, how have you approached that out of interest? Because I think there are some examples... Uh, in terms of drop-in centres, digital champions, a kind of business partnership model I think you've established as well. How, what's the secret source, I guess, to establishing digital culture? Because I change is always hard, isn't it? And people in particular are hard to change. So how have you gone about that? Yeah, so I think um, something around um, brand and communications and engagement, and I think really um, getting the right type of person um, to, to go and work with frontline teams, divisional teams, getting our clinicians really involved. So for, we, we've got quite a lot of um, doctors, nurses, allied health professionals who are working as part of the digital team. So actually they're, they're um, embedded in their clinical teams, but also they're embedded in, in digital as well. And I think in terms of the culture, that really helps with us knowing why we do what we do and it's all about our patients and it's all about our staff so it helps to a create that culture but b you know keep the keep the thing really grounded as as well um so so i would say that there's some of the the ingredients but i think you know also then putting some of our digital professionals in with those teams so if we're thinking about any service changes if we're thinking about new strategies and transformation you're getting those folk in and out and around those services seeing how they work seeing what the opportunities are seeing what the challenges are working with them and really importantly to delivering um because i think that you, you can have the best strategy in the world and people can get behind it but actually if you don't deliver and you don't show results and you don't listen you're on a hiding to, to nothing really so uh, so I think they would be some of my um my suggestions and, and I think and I said the word before I think there's something around keeping some of it a bit fun and light-hearted because you know I just think you, you don't come to work to um to not have a good day do you you're coming to work to have a smile have a little bit of a laugh have a little bit of a joke and I think there's something in terms of the culture of keeping really optimistic and really spirited and, and positive around the the changes that we're doing even when things are hard yeah no that, and that sense of together i guess that builds that sense of togetherness doesn't it in terms yeah of yeah definitely yeah interesting points about i mean we had another set as well of cross-functional teams working together it being or, or you know, digital teams being less of a silo um much more embedded in in what the organization is trying to achieve but as you say you've uh as many CIO tells me, you you have the basics right to, to earn that voice to do more. You do, and I think um, I'm always very keen to to get out and about as as much as I can. So, uh, um, 
drop into to various clinical areas. And um, I think I'm also the exec buddy for a number of, of clinical areas, sort of not, not from a digital point of view, but from a wider exec point of view. And so I'm always curious, really, to, to see, you know, how things are feeling on, on the ground. And, you know, if there's things, um, you know, we, we've got some of our um, technical colleagues who do, you know, they do daily ward rounds. So they're out and about across both organisations, just trying to proactively pick up any challenges for staff. Um, but, you know, really encourage that with the, the leadership team as well. You know, w- walking um, a few steps in other people's shoes can really then show, you know, how great something is or things that we need to sort out. Um, and again, I think it, it, it's not afraid to say, sorry, we've got that wrong, but we'll fix it. Because I think showing some, you know, humility and, and not making excuses when, when something's gone a little bit wrong, but just sort of facing up to it and saying, you're really sorry that we didn't get that right this time. Um, but, you know, give us a chance and we'll, we'll fix it is really important. Yeah, so humility and vulnerability, I guess, is part of that, being being yourself, you know, in terms of who you bring to, uh, bring to work. Um, Coming towards the end, Kate, before we go into those two slightly kind of off the off the wall questions, but um, obviously various initiatives that you've worked on last year, I think, you know, going paperless, the adoption of electronic patient records. I think you're doing some interesting stuff in um, telemedicine and, and AI and automation. Um, which one kind of stands out for you? Which are you most proud of over the last year? Oh, gosh. Can you pick one? <laughs> Well, I think um, so. One of the things which we've done in both organisations is is go on a, a journey around international accreditation. Um, so there's something called HIMS, um, which is a global digital accreditation for health services. Um, and this is it's not it's not been very widely adopted in in the NHS for for various reasons. And I think the the NHS has been largely behind um, other countries globally in terms of the digital ad- adoption, particularly in the acute provider sector. Um, and for me, that this global standard is all all around how technology can help you um, deliver great care, great outcomes, safe care. And so we, we've um, been on a journey with, with both trusts around HIMS and, and we got the highest level of HIMS in, in Alder Hay um, last year, so HIMS level seven. And then we got the second highest level in Liverpool Heart and Chest, HIM, um, HIMS level six. Actually, it was the year before last. I forgot we're in New Year now. Anyway, um, and we're on the journey for himself or seven at Heart and Chest this year. So I think to have a integrated team which delivered these two major global accreditations, it was just a huge um, success for, for the team, really. And, and our team are fantastic. Um, but then I think what really stood out for me during that process was just the difference this work was making to our to our clinical staff and to our patients and the improvements to people's lives and again you know that that's why we do this stuff every day yeah absolutely and and, and it's some interesting um projects actually you will pilot to work and i think one, one of which was asthma mapping in, in young children yeah which yeah, and, um, and what was really interesting in that, so during COVID, because obviously there was, everyone was inside, there was no cars on the road, so the, um, the A&E attendances and the illness of respiratory illness in children during that period just absolutely plummeted. And obviously now we've, we've come out of it all and they've all been incubated for a while. We've had the worst winter ever around respiratory illness. So, um, but I think using some of our data, using some of our AI tools, you know, I, I think that's um, really helped us predict and, and be able to help shape some of, some of our services. 
Yeah, absolutely. Now, Kate, uh, the final two questions for you. We're going to go into a bit more about you as an individual, I guess. Um, first of all, I'm, I'm going to leave... Uh, there's, a, there's a question around music I'm going to come on to, but I guess the first one was, if, if you were starting again career-wise would you would you still choose technology and why and and if you didn't what would you choose and um, I think I probably would actually and um, I, I do I do enjoy this I, I think I love the wider leadership elements of it and as you've probably spotted the people elements of, of this um which I think is not just about technology actually it, it could be transferable to to others I think if I was going to um if I was to choose something else, I wouldn't mind a bit of travel actually. <laughs> so I could see myself, you know, you know, you, you see these programs on the telly, don't they? Where they um they basically get paid to go and like check out a nice hotel in like the Maldives or Barbados or somewhere. I think if I was to um to to have a have a go all over again, that that mightn't be a bad uh, a bad show. But with the reality on the ground, it is probably less likely. And, and I think I'd definitely choose health again. You know, I think the. I'm really passionate. My mum's a nurse, my auntie's a nurse, so I think really passionate about um, the, the health elements of, of yes. what we do. Yeah, fantastic. And then I guess finally, talk me through your, obviously you um musician by trade, I believe that you're the chair of a, a wind orchestra and also a saxophonist. So just talk me through um yeah, uh, what you what you do is keep busy outside the day job if you have, have any time at all. Yeah, so so I actually so I play flute, piano, and saxophone. So um, so played flute and piano since I was a child. Um, and as I think mentioned earlier, did my degree in music. And then I actually only took the saxophone up after I'd done my degree. Um, which which was a bit bit weird. And um, I joined the Mughal Wind Orchestra in um a few years after I finished university. Um, and now that's the orchestra that I chair. Um, and it's a great group. And again, it, it you know it's all about community and um, it's a community orchestra and our ethos is any age any ability no fee um, and we are around about 100 odd members and our, our youngest members have been as young as eight and our oldest is as old as like sort of between 80 and, and 90 at various points um, and it brings a real sense of, of, of togetherness of a set of people who would never normally get in a room together and um, real eclectic different backgrounds so um, so I play flute in the orchestra and so it's certainly in our section there's sort of myself with a health background we've got a physio we've got some music teachers someone who works at the Liverpool Philharmonic and we've got a pilot so when would we all normally get in a room together but you know what we're great mates yeah. um, and then we play in a great section together and so it's really fantastic for the community to be able to come together and, and make music and we've put on some really big concerts so we've played at the Liverpool Philharmonic Hall um, and, and other really big things so even though we're a community orchestra we're, we're a pretty professional outfit actually and I'm really proud of that and I think you know I chaired the committee there as I say um, but we've got a great leadership team around the, the orchestra and then so my best friend actually is the musical director of the orchestra and he is also a professional musician um, and got me into playing saxophone um, so it, it was um, after I heard Phil play the saxophone I, I ended up saying oh you'll have to teach me that after a few glasses of wine really teach me that and I want to get to grade eight in a year which is the highest level on um, on music um, so, so we did it and um, so this was after university and so then he had the uh, unenviable job 
job of teaching me jazz. Um, and now I play in a number of his um, jazz um, big bands as well, which which I just love. And it's a bit of fun out of work. And you know, we get to play with with a really great set of musicians um, and singers and stuff. So yeah, it's it's a uh, it's a bit of fun. Keep keeps the mind active outside of work as well. Um, yeah. She's brilliant. <laughs> And obviously very talented. You're one of those annoying people who seem to pick up an instrument and straight away know what to do with it, which is I'm definitely not in that category. But actually your sense of community and togetherness is really coming through, not just from your work, but obviously spare time as, as well. So, um, Kate, that was such a pleasure. Thanks so much for joining us on Leadership Live. And, um, yeah, thank you for sharing your, your insights today. Oh, thank you, Doug. That's been a real pleasure. Thanks so much. And of course, thanks to you viewers for tuning in. I hope there were some useful insights there to take back into your day job. That's all for now, but we'll see you again very soon. Until then, goodbye.